Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Uh, Thoughts on the worst take of all time? Honking opinions. When Arsenal knocks on the door of players, it's a different knock than other clubs. Claps, claps, claps. Les différents podcasts de frappe. Arsenal have been through their mile and a half of pipe like Andy Dufresne in the Shawshank Redemption where you have to see the light at the end of the tunnel. El podcast de golpe diferente. But Arsenal are going through their pipe, like I say. We'll be back. The Different Knock Podcast. Maybe we'll have a good surprise for you. Welcome back to Wrong, 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 an Arsenal podcast with Alexander Mandipenny, my very good friend, Bramley Apples, and I'm delighted to say, joining us again, the Diffnock veteran, Aaron Catterson-Reed. ACR, welcome back, Aaron. How are you, sir? Good morning, lads. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm all good. Thanks for thanks for having me on. We're a bit worried about these predictions. Yes, uh, we are going to be looking back at our season predictions uh, and as well as handing out the prestigious Diff Knock Awards. Um, now, these are probably going to go top on the mantelpiece, but we will hand them out regardless. Yes, we're going to be look- looking back at our predictions. I had a listen to our episode. There are some unbelievable takes, and I don't know if you saw on Twitter, but I actually clipped up Aaron's uh, prediction of how our season would go, and it is unreal yeah you predict fifth you predict us signing Erdegaard you predict us losing the first three games of the season and you predict like sort of by the end of the season Arteta will have um, uh, sort of got the fans on board I mean are you that mystic octopus in disguise Um, (laughs) maybe in a different life I was but there's some bad predictions in there as well I, I was quite proud of that little They'll clip, but you didn't clip the other stuff that I got horrifically wrong, as I'm sure we'll discuss. We we can we can hide that and get uh, get rid of that. Um, yes, so uh, I mean, let's just get straight into it. But why not? Um, I wanted to start with kind of overall feelings on the season. Um, we were just chatting before we started recording, and I feel like me and Brad Aaron have basically convinced ourselves that this might be a good thing, which, as I said, might be a trauma response. Um, you seem less optimistic but more conflicted can i have your uh, initial thoughts on how basically how the season ended probably is a good place to start yeah the, the end of the season was tough i i really i really didn't see it coming if i'm honest i thought we were scraping through games scraping through united chelsea leeds west ham we got through that difficult patch obviously off the back of losing three in a row against mid table sides so i thought We've won four in a row here. Just don't lose to Tottenham. And even if we do, still in our hands. And I just think we were burnt out. We had about 14 players that we were using. We didn't have a big squad at all, obviously. I think the Tierney and Party injuries can't be overstated. I read, especially Party. I think when he yeah. came out of that team, El Nenny did a good job, but like as good as he could do. Him at his best is still 50% Thomas Party. So, yeah, very, very disappointed. Yep. I was at that Newcastle game and I felt like I'd just been hit by a bus or something. <laughs> it was it was horrific. Um, 
Oh, you, <laughs> Which, were in the, you were in the stadium? Yeah, I was with the, with the Arsenal fans as well. Um, my first actual proper away game and what a treat that uh, that oh, was. No. But overall, still positive about the future. Not, it's not all, it's not all the end of the world. You must have been sat like 50 miles away watching that happen, watching these ants <laughs> lose, lose top four. Yeah, so. just <laughs> would have been horrible. Um, yeah. Squinting. Yeah, literally. Um, yeah, man, like, I, I kind of feel the same. I, I think the problem, I get frustrated at Arsenal fans basically thinking every, and actually football fans in general, basically thinking every single solution to every single problem is in the market. There's going to be some magical player who comes in and fixes all your problems and why haven't we signed this player, that player, every single player we're linked to. That frustrates me during the season because I view it as there are so many tactical things that I, you know, I'm constantly trying to to understand myself and understand the game itself more because I think that shows us so much more and, and teaches us so much more about what, what we're actually seeing. However, this situation, I do think all leads back to squad building. However you spin it, you know, whatever it is. I mean, I, watching that Newcastle game, I don't know how you felt, but those players were absolutely knackered. And we can go back to, you know, at the beginning of the season, we wouldn't have expected, you know, fourth. We wouldn't even expected to necessarily be in that top four race, which I, I truly believe. There's all sorts of sort of mitigating circumstances, young team, lack of experience, et cetera, et cetera. But it was there for us. Those teams were beatable. Newcastle w- were were beatable. Um, and it was two games. We, we had two games away. But the biggest factor for me is how knackered those players were. The fact we couldn't rotate Saka. The fact we uh, couldn't rotate uh, Ben White out. And these players were just dead on their feet, man. And for me, that is possibly the biggest factor. Um, maybe even maybe on a par with the fact that... Um, Thomas Partey uh, went out. Uh, you know, I think that probably had a bigger impact overall in the in the run in. But maybe in the most high leverage moments. I watched that Newcastle game. We weren't getting to the second balls. We were not competing. And when you don't do that, I don't care who you got on the pitch. It doesn't matter. The, the moment you stop competing, you're not going to win football matches. Uh, said uh, Neil Warnock. So you know Neil Warnock's now on Twitter. Yeah, no, he's come from Magdine. You say, oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I've seen it. And did you see um, Rio Ferdinand come for John Terry this morning and John Terry far back? Very juicy. Christ alive. Christ Unbelievable alive. bit of uh, football Twitter. Uh, Bradley, um, we've said that this could be the best thing for the team. As I say, this could be us just blindly try, trying to find a positive. But I do feel um, the, the, and, uh, the next stage of this of this team being Europa League might be a positive. I mean, what's your take on that? It's difficult, isn't it? Um, because we all want to be back on those glorious Tuesday nights under the lights at the carpet. And, uh, you know, the club would have benefited so much financially in, in terms of player pulling and all that kind of bollocks. Um, I was watching something that I mentioned to you guys before this. And I can't remember what it was, um, it, but it talked about uh, Villas-Boas getting into the Champions League with Marseille and how they had to really, really, you know, be lauded for how good they were that season to get in to then him get sacked and be told how shit his team was because they got absolutely pumped in the Champions League. Now, listen, I don't think, I don't think we would have been pumped, but it would have had a severe impact on our season. I think that the lack of rotation this season 
has had a severe impact. We should have rotated party for Sambi more, especially at, you know, 60 minute marks in games that we're 3-1 up in. The same with Saka and Pepe, the same with other players. Rotation has really, really cost us this season. But having a lesser kind of intense European competition, especially at the group stage. And if you get a favourable draw, you're not coming up against tough teams until kind of the quarters. Could really, really help us in allowing that kind of natural rotation and bringing in the the whatever options, cover players, whatever you want to call them, just different options to get more game time, to grow more, to progress more. And then we're not in a situation where it comes to the end of the season and in our last 10 games, we've lost five games because we we literally don't have, what, four members of our first team, five members of our first team. So I think that's the main positive that we can take from this is some hopefully enforced rotation. But that is up to the manager and he's the one that has to get that right. And if he does the same as he's done this season and and continues to not rotate, then we will face fatigue problems even worse down the line because we've got European matches next season. And I think it kind of clarifies exactly what we need to do in the market. My worry is, and I'm just kind of forming this now, whether there's a link between those two in Arteta, because I don't know if you remember Wenger in terms of how he he managed a lot of situations. He really heavily rotated, especially for cup competitions, especially for you know bringing youth players through. I don't know exactly why. I wouldn't want to particularly speculate on why, but he seemed to trust them more. I don't think Arteta is someone who wants ever to put out a team that can't win a match. I think I don't think he he spends much time going trying to be tr- pragmatic, and we saw it in the Spurs game. He basically went, "Well, I want I want to win this game," you know. So he put out the strongest possible team he could in the strongest possible lineup he could to go and take possession, to go and try and win the game the way we normally do. And therefore, heading into the Champions League, I mean, Aaron, I'm interested in, in your take on this. Heading into the Champions League, there was no chance that he was going to be playing the likes of Sambi in the group stages because we inevitably would have been drawn with Bayern, Real Madrid and Barcelona somehow. There was no chance he was going to rotate. So it could, this Europa League could provide a lot of opportunities, of course, for the likes of Sambi, probably people were going to be bringing in this summer, maybe in Ketia to really, um, you know, I don't know what his... Um, his uh, playing time situation is going to be but it's definitely going to be a, a, a an opportunity I mean Aaron Champions League would have provided us obviously more money and would have been um, good for kind of um, the vibes as we say but I wonder whether we might have seen the same problem in that Mikel might have just tried to play a full strength team and we'd be exactly where we are at the end of the season and is that a concern because I would like to see more pragmatism for, from him yeah I think we, we need to address, like like Brad said, we need to address the depth problems. Um, Champions League was, yeah, it was never going to see an El Nene Laconga pivot to give Party and Jacka a rest. And maybe if we're being uber positive, Europa League is a good thing because you look back a couple seasons ago in that group stage, none of the first team played other than maybe giving them a 20 minute run out for fitness. So, I see a lot of people say next season is going to be really different um, because we'll be in Europe. But up until February, will it be any different? I'm I'm not entirely sure. So, yeah, I think Mikel, Mikel doesn't trust those guys on the fringes. 
you saw with with Pepe, Saka played all 38 Premier League games. He was the first player to do it in something like 20 years since Nigel Winterburn. So he does need to start trusting the guys and I get why he doesn't. They're, they're not top level, but he looked back at some of the games we've been two, three goals up in and he has just, he's left players on the pitch that he doesn't really need to. And coming back to that Tottenham game, I think I, I respected that he wanted to win that game, win that game and we've got Champions League football secured. But I think we approached it a bit naively. Like it's Antonio Conte and it's Kane and Son. We know exactly the way they want us to play. They want us to go on the front foot and they want to hit us at the other end. And I think we we played it into their hands a bit too much. And Mikel had previously sort of not done that, especially in his first season. You look at how we won the FA Cup. He was he was the pragmatist in that in that scenario. And I think maybe he went from doing that to trying to be a Man City, a front foot team. And you need to bridge, you need to do that slowly, not just go all out because it, it is a gradual process, as boring as it sounds. It is, it is. And Especially it, with Cedric Suarez at right back. Yeah. <laughs> and it's about managing load. It's about managing, uh, you know, these players. And I think it's interesting actually you bring up the FA Cup because I'd actually forgotten about that, the pragmatism of, of Tierney sort of dropping in. Um, the way we we handled that against against I think it was who was it City Liverpool and then finally Chelsea in the final you know it was a very hard run, um, yeah I I think I, I I hope adding players this summer will mean there will be more numbers to trust and I think you're right actually I think there's a number of players I think there's probably fifteen players Mikel wants to put on the pitch if you see what I mean and a lot of players who who he doesn't ever you know if he can avoid it. Um, he won't put them on the pitch. And I hope that number increases. I understand it, but I also think you're right. There's a kind of, um, there's a slow burn that you've got to do um, and recognise where you are and recognise where you are. And um, I hope that bleeds into the squad building this summer. Um, I'm also interested in improving the robustness and experience of this team because I do believe experience is over-indexed. I mean, ultimately you stick a 19-year-old Lionel Messi in this team we, we we get there. Do you know what I mean? It's talent talent wins out overall. But I do think experience sometimes gets you over the line. And I'd like to see us adding a twenty a couple of 25, 26 year olds who've been there, done it a couple of times. You know, Jesus has won the league a couple of times, uh probably fifteen under Guardiola. Um, you know, adding those those guys in might get us over the line, as well as a robustness. I don't want to watch another season of TNA and Partey dropping out and missing however many games they missed. I love them. I absolutely love them. But at times you've got to kill your darlings and you don't watch a top team consistently every season have a player drop out and continue to persist with them. It doesn't happen. Honestly, watch watch Liverpool, watch City. Their players are, you know, I, I think Alisson, Van Dijk, Fabinho, their whole, basically almost their whole team I worked out the other day was available for something like 32 or 33 out of their 38 Premier League games. I mean, that is where we've got to get to. And there are players like Saka who somehow have that ability to play so many games. Um, and Brad, you know, I, I I appreciate we we love these guys, 
But I mean, what's your take on that? I mean, we've, we've got to find people who can come in and be available. <laughs> like we have to layer on top. And ultimately, if, if Partey drops out and Tierney drops out, at some point we have to bite the bullet and say, great players, but we can't rely on them. Um, Partey the one, is, is one I worry less about because I feel like Arsenal themselves, have sh- we've shot ourselves in the foot a couple of times with Partey, rushing him back from injury, rushing him back from AFCON. Tierney's the one where consistently now, you know, two seasons in a row, a serious injury to him has has derailed big parts of our season. And it, it's forming more of a consistent pattern in his overall career. With Thomas Partey, I think he'd spent something like five days or something stupid on the treatment table before Arsenal. And then there's a clear pattern of us just being fucking idiots and like telling him to get back on a pitch when he's hobbling off injured and stuff like that. Whereas with Tierney, there is a consistent pattern now where he is picking up little niggling injuries in certain places that that I would start to consider moving on from Tierney. As and not for and even though we might move on from him from a tactical perspective, even just from an injury perspective, you can't. We're not Man City. We're not Liverpool at the moment. We can't have two players of the exact same quality. We can't have two world-class left-backs in the squad fighting out for minutes because another team is going to want that second left-back. You know, we need a young up-and-coming person that can push that choice. And if that if that choice in Tierney is going to consistently miss, I think he's missed something like 60 games for Arsenal now. Or it's like over two seasons worth of football that he's missed. I don't think it's quite that, only- but it's 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 a lot. It's a lot of. I think it's almost. I think it's like if you add it up, it's it's a season or something like that, or just over a season. It's, it's a lot of games of football for a player that, whilst he is good, doesn't a hundred percent suit what we're going to do anymore. And even if he did a hundred percent suit it, if if you if you literally can't pick him. What's the point in having him, especially if there's people coming in like to the tune of 50 million quid? I'd snap your hand off for it because they're paying 50 million quid for a guy. They're going to play 20, 30 games a season. It's just. Transfer marked with says it's 48 games. So that's a season and 48 games. That's a that if you include like cup competitions, that's that's an entire season of football. Like we that we can't have that anymore. I think party's less of a worry because there is a stellar record before he came here. With Tierney, there just there is this pattern emerging, and I feel like if we could go out and get, I don't know, somebody big in the summer and then move on from Kieran Tierney, I don't think that'd be the worst idea if they're available. Well, Zinchenko. I mean, the Zinchenko links have come out today uh, and last night. I mean, that's an interesting option. I'm not. This isn't a transfer podcast, but it's an interesting possibility. Um, Aaron, before we kind of do some closing thoughts, I want to get your take on this slightly hot take. But there's also a part of me with the Kirantini situation. He is a very strong minded player. And to be clear, I'm not blaming the player 100%. But I also think there's a part of this where Kirantini has to manage himself because apparently he was playing through pain. And at some point, it's your body. You have to tell the coaches. You have to speak to the coaches and say, look, I don't think it's good for me to play on. I find it extremely difficult to believe that Kieran Tierney was saying 
or, or had said, I can't play on and they just made him play on. I find that very hard to believe because he's a professional football player and he has power and he can speak to his agent. He could speak to whoever even, and, and surely he has those relationships and supposedly Mikel loves him. So I'm obviously it's on the club to manage that. Um, that situation and that there's most of the responsibility but there's a part of me that worries about Tierney that he's not taking care of his own responsibility part of that he's the only one who can feel how he feels yeah I think like you said his mentality might be it's one of his it's one of his best attributes but it could have negatively impacted him there um, if he was playing through pain but I'm fairly certain that it was with Scotland that he actually he picked up his last knee injury Um was right over the, the last international break. And then we came back for Palace and he, he suddenly wasn't available. I know that in training, he had been told to, to calm down a bit because he was flying into, flying into tackles and they were worried about him injuring people. Um, so it, it is a difficult one. I think if we had a reliable left back that was there with him, I would hope anyway that Mikel knows Tierney has a bad injury record preceding his time at Arsenal. Even when he was at Celtic, he's always he's always um, missed a decent chunks of the season. So I think if we got in someone like Sinchenko, it would help manage the load with Tierney. And it, Sinchenko also maybe fits what Mikel wants a bit more. Um, the only problem with that would then be we would probably need an attacking right back as well but I personally wouldn't sell Tierney unless like a ridiculous offer came in I just think he's one of the candidates to be captain he would be my favorite personally and he's still what 25 I think we need players like that he's got experience winning um and he is on the younger side but not inexperienced so as, as frustrating as it is relying on him, that comes down to squad building. And I think getting a getting an option like Zinchenko who can play in midfield and at left back kind of solves two options in one. Yeah, I think it's interesting who Arteta targets or supposedly targets a fullback. He's basically brought in three at least slightly ambipedal and some some completely ambipedal fullbacks and that's clearly how he wants to play he wants players who can both invert and go on the outside and I don't think Tierney can invert as well as or come inside as well as or at all really compared to say a Tavares I'm not talking about the quality I'm just saying literally can do it um so it's interesting. I, I'd like to see how that plays out. I, all jokes aside about passion merchants and sort of Lee Gunner, you know, fighting for the badge type, it is a really important quality to have. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see on that. I just wanted to finish off um, this part of the podcast by talking about the fans. Um, the fans have been totally reconnected this season. Um, I don't know if you, well, obviously um, you you went to that away game. I don't know if you went to any, any home games, Aaron, but compared to previous seasons um i there's such a different energy around around the place there's uh, people singing Mikel Arteta's name the manager's name has not been sung for a very long time apart from in negative contexts um so it's a we've moved forward in in that respect and i think it's a very very important thing Jamie Carragher was talking on the overlap about Everton he was basically saying you could probably get three four places up the 
up the table if you make Goodison a cauldron. If you somehow get Goodison to be right on top of you, to be a really, really difficult place to come, set pieces, free kicks, a lot of scrappy play. And that's for Everton. But I think we can take a lesson from that as well. Um, and I think slowly the atmosphere is is moving away from that kind of library situation. I mean, Brad, what's your read on that so far? Yeah, I, I still think there's work to be done um, in, in terms of reconnecting fans. I think a, a big gap has been bridged this season. And I still think that there there are people who aren't the the egregious Lee Gunner types who are, you know, absolutely just beholden to, to their ideas because, you know, they had a thought once and they can't seem to think anything else ever again. It, it appears difficult for Lee Gunner to have many thoughts. Yeah, It does, it does. <laughs> um, but... I, I think a, a big gap has been bridged. I don't think I don't think we're wholly there yet. I still think that there are people that have their doubts, and and that's absolutely fair. If uh, you know, if if that's their opinions. Um, but what I what I do think is clear is I do think that there is a um, a big difference between being slightly unsure on things because of the way that the season ended or, or, or whatever and actively wanting the manager out, which I think is is now just silly. I, I could understand wanting him out when we were in that horrendous run in December when it looked like we didn't have a lot of ideas. We didn't know how we were going to get out of it. But there's been such a clear progression that um, I think it spoke to kind of maybe 75% of fans already. And we already look like we're back on the right track. So I think that it the work that's been done is amazing. There's still a little bit of a ways to go, but that's the exciting part. You, you know, no matter what, you're especially in the modern age, you're never going to get 100% of people on side. Like it's, it's just an impossibility because people are dogmatic. People want to be right more than they want to have a good time and want their club to be good. So I think it's about focusing less on that 25% of people and allowing them to get on the, you know, the train when, when they want to. And then until that point, you know, they're, they're free to do whatever they want. It doesn't make them right. doesn't make them wrong. Yeah. I think I, I have been to a couple of home games this season. And like you said, the atmosphere has changed massively. We're, we're still, still one of the the worst grounds in my opinion in terms of atmosphere but definitely been a lot more positive the thing thing i've noticed recently and you can't judge a fan base off twitter i think that's fair especially for arsenal but there is still that core group of people that they almost revel in in the failure in being proven right you see the guys that maybe wanted mikel out six, nine months ago, suddenly emerging from whatever cave they've been living in just to go, ah, I told you so. But end of the day, like Brad said, the progression is there. Fourth was there for the taking and as frustrating as it is that we didn't take it, I don't see how we could possibly, this is going to be clipped, I'm sure, possibly get worse next season. No one in that team should... <laughs> no one in that team theoretically should be getting worse. I know it's not a clear line of progression, um, but Mikel's improving. We've we've seen it over the last six, nine months, especially in my opinion, that he's getting his ideas and putting them into practice. And 
we've got a core group of young young guys that will only get better as there will be blips i'm sure but i think there's there's reason to be positive absolutely okay <clears throat> okay boys we are now going to look at our uh predictions i was about to say previews but our predictions from the beginning of the season uh and then we'll hand out the prestigious diff knock awards so we had a number of categories we started with a hot take from arsenal uh this is the one where aaron absolutely smashed it um the mystic octopus over here i said there's a similar mood to 2013-14 at the time and i said we'll see my hot take was that we would see further executive change and coaching change and i suggested Roy Hodgson. Yeah, fucking hell. <laughs> which was oh, not met with much appreciation. <laughs> However, I still think, and I'm not saying Roy Hodgson, I, I, I'm just, I, he was an example. I still do think there's space for a... Neil Warnock, boys. <laughs> <laughs> Although Aaron confused... Aaron You're going to fucking die to get three points. Aaron confused <laughs> Stephen Warnock and, and Neil Warnock on the podcast, which was quite funny. And, and no nice. one noticed for ages. Yes. Uh, <laughs> um, but uh, yes, um, I, I still think there's space on the executive side for more football oversight. I don't want to turn into Man United. Um, and maybe if it, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. We're making progress currently. There are too many chefs in that Man United kitchen. And I don't want to become that. However, um, maybe on the coaching side, there's space for, I don't know, one more. Uh, someone who's an experienced head, uh, just who, who can question Mikel, who may have said in that Spurs game, "Look, mate, we're on our knees here. Stick Bobby Holding in the middle of a back five. Stick El Nenny and Jacker in a in a double pivot and just sit in a counter because they they can't break down low blocks." Um, take on that, Aaron. Yeah, I do think there is there's room for experience in that in that um, in the coaching setup. I think you had previously mentioned West Ham where David Moyes has Stuart Pierce with him. And I think well, yeah, having having gone. Oh yeah, as he, he's just left, hasn't he? But Roy Hodgson, maybe not the not the right choice, but yeah, a seasoned veteran of the Premier League. Um just someone that is in Mikel's ear because you look at Albert Albert Stoivenberg, who's obviously highly rated and I think it's Carlos Cuesta. Um, I obviously seem like talented coaches, but how often are they going, listen, Mikel, I think you've got this wrong. Um, as purely speculation, they, they very well, they very well could, but I just think having someone strong that can go end of the day, it's your decision, Mikel, but this is what I would do if I was in your situation. I think that would be, be a good idea. Yeah. I think there's a there's a quote out there somewhere which is basically that Mikel when he came in he wanted people who would challenge him. But here's the thing, right? If you get people in who are going to challenge you but can never overrule you, and I appreciate he's the manager, so he gets the final decision. But it's like saying 
well, my kids can always challenge me. It's like, yeah, but ultimately you do get the final say. So it's like you, there's a, there's a, there's a slight thing there. You need people on the same level as you. You need, you need someone who can re and of course, in the end, it all comes, it has to come back to Mikel, but you need strong voices. You need properly strong voices who have the same gravitas as you, even if they don't get the final decision. So I think there is a, um, there is space for that. Um, yeah, we'll move on because we're, because of time. But yeah, I think, um, I think there's there's definitely space for that. So basically, I'm right about Roy Hodgson. Um, Rad, you said <laughs> strong start, <laughs> bad end to the season, ting. Um, you predicted fifth. No, sorry, you predicted sixth, and that we dropped down from fifth at the end of the season. Uh, Aaron, you predicted fifth, and I predicted fifth as well. So. Brad, how do you feel? Um, I mean, I got the bad end right. Um, That's true. And we did drop down a space. I just think maybe I wasn't optimi- optimistic enough that that space was going to be 14th, 14th, 4th. Fuck it up. Um, <laughs> oh, my God. Dropping down from 4th to 5th. Um, yeah. <laughs> you never know. You never know. Uh, top scorer. The audience said it would be Nicola Pepe. Uh, <laughs> I also said, I also said Nicola Pepe. So here's the thing with that, right? At the if you cast your mind back at the end of last season, no Pepe excuses. Looking... You got it wrong. No context. We don't do that here. <laughs> don't give context. It's stupid. <laughs> um, who needs context? It's Bradley Adams. It's hot take central over here. Um, Brad, if I could bring up some of the shit you said on this pod, mate. Um, the, oh, it's brilliant. Uh, it's brilliant. <laughs> I love this game. I think if you cast your mind back at the end of last season, Pepe was looking like he was finding some finding his feet i think he scored two on the final day against brighton but also he looked bright uh terrible uh in the last sort of five six games of the season and it felt as though he was finding some kind of form however that is an extraordinarily bad take um both of you said abamyang which probably at the time makes sense although brad you said abamyang in the lead but pepe overall just wanted to leave that uh piece of information out just to uh, just to let you know that honking opinions and then though you then went on a tangent and said so that's why i'm saying Abamyang. so i'm not sure who you meant really uh <laughs> he was trying to cover all either way i'm fucked <laughs> <laughs> yeah neither right i have to say at the beginning of uh, the beginning of that season i had a lot of doubts about Abamyang, and basically I was saying that I didn't think Aubameyang would play every single minute. I thought by the end of the season, he would have dropped out the team. Obviously, no one foresaw exactly what happened. Um, I still think Aubameyang going was the right call. Aaron, not replacing in January, though. What's your take on that? Because I I think the context of it all ultimately leads leads me back to going, look, who were our options? Isaac, who scored two goals since then. We got quoted something like 62 million for Rauda Tomas, who I'd never even heard of. Uh, we obviously were trying to get Vlahovic. You know, it's all very well, as I said at the beginning of the podcast, saying go in the market, find a player. But if that player is not going to come in and, and do anything, don't do it. But I struggled to believe there was no one, even on a loan deal. You know, I'm thinking of, there must be there must be a player out there. Yeah, I, I agree. I think getting a Bamian though was the right call. And it's difficult because it ultimately costs us top four not getting someone in, but 
who do you get in that then this summer you're not like, oh, do we even still want him? I I don't know. I, it's a it's a hard take because he only ended up scoring two for them. But even someone like Veghorst, you could have got someone someone like him in who then would just could be a backup next season, a plan B of sort. Um but hindsight's a wonderful thing. But if we just played in Kedia, give give him a huge run in the team, said that you're gonna start of these next twenty games, you're gonna start fifteen of them. Maybe maybe it would have got us over the line. Um but I'm not gonna sit here and say that I wanted that at the time because I had I had no idea he had had this in him. So yep. it's uh, and Brad, like, but, yeah. it's yeah, it is frustrating. And Brad, like, it's very someone like their course coming in. Of course, coming in on you know, if if he was on a loan deal or whatever. Ultimately, what we're doing is guesswork here. You know, I find it very difficult to really come down hard on the club on things basically other than on the pitch and decisions that I see in front of me. So, in terms of the transfer market, I don't know what was there, and we have consistently bashed the club for shit contracts. And, and giving out giving out terrible contracts to players who aren't suitable. I'm not I don't know whether the right player was there. And if the right player was there and they didn't move for it, I am frustrated. But we don't know. Do you know what I mean? So for a club who we consistently bash, as I say, for giving out bad contracts, I I find it difficult to cast a judgment on January. See what I mean? Yeah. I um I think it also depends what we, judgment, Brad. what we do in the summer. Tell them their shit. Like, for example... Tell them about your football manager where you sold Mark Kukurea for 20 million more than you got him. <laughs> I know. I'm a god. I'm a god, lads. What can I say? <laughs> I think it depends what we do this summer. If we were to go out and sign Alexander Isaac this summer, I would severely question why... And say it's like 12 million quid less then we could have just broken the release clause in January. I would su- massively question why we didn't do that. Because yes, yeah, yeah. there was, there, if that is the case, there's there's obviously a thought that he's the guy that we want. That was the choice. But we didn't want to spend that extra money in January. Well, why? We get into the Champions League. That, that, that £12 million is nothing. But, you know, it's coming out that it's looking like maybe Gabby Jesus or somebody else. And Isaac, I don't has he even been linked so far this this window in Not any no, concrete no. level? So uh, you know, January happened, and it's obviously a shame that our main competitors signed two players in January that basically got them over the line in Benson and Kulisevsky. But I can't I can't bash a club that I've consistently said that the recruitment shit for not going out and panic buying. Because like Aaron said, I think the only option there would have been maybe a Veghorst who you basically just spend 12 million quid on and just happily burn the cash. If you lose it all in six months time, but you're in the Champions League, shit happens. But those players become very difficult to get out, especially if you've got them on on decent contracts. And if you're bringing in a player that that's going to know they're not going to be there in six months, you're going to have to compensate them in some way. And that'll always be financial. So yeah. Yeah. It sucks. I, yeah, I, I think I agree. The only way I would 100% know to be like, that was stupid is if we went out and signed Isaac for 2 million less than his release clause. Do you know what I mean? It's like, well then why not just do that in January? Also, I don't know why I, did, I, I 
answer the question about whether Isaac's been linked because Aaron does trend writing, so therefore he will know every single transfer link we we possibly have. <laughs> that, is, that is a good point, but I haven't <laughs> haven't seen him linked at all. Link us up, Aaron. Any 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 insider information? Any exclusives for the pod? No, not no. Have you been have you been writing any articles for any incomings? Nudge nudge, wink wink. <laughs> No, not that. Not we this will summer. cut this bit out. We will definitely not air this. <laughs> no, unfortunately, I don't have any any juicy gossip. I've not seen Isaac oh, Isaac linked at all. Aaron, one for you. I heard that Cedric's off this summer from a from a pretty reliable source. So to Newcastle. So there you go. Football understands. There it is. Uh, we the sweet Lord Jesus above. <laughs> we predicted top assister. Brad said Saka, Aaron said Emil Smith-Rowe, and I said Saka as well. The audience predicted Emil Smith-Rowe, so basically just two names in there. And it ended up being Alexandre Lacazette. <laughs> oh, shit. With, with eight assists. Bakai Saka was uh, behind him with seven, and Emil Smith-Rowe was all the way down there with two assists. Um, Martinelli was up on seven, and Pepe got six. And this is all in all competitions, but... Um, there you go. Uh, right, we move forward. Player of the season. Aaron said that Arsenal fans get bored, so Saka might be best, but it will probably be Thomas Partey. Uh, Brad said, and I actually think, Aaron, you probably would have been right if he finished the yeah. end of the season strong. I think Saka probably would have been one of yeah. our best players, and I think Thomas Partey probably would have got player of the season. Um, I don't know who has got player of the season, but I guess you know we'll we'll, we'll find out. Um, I said Saka. Brad said Tierney with Ben White a close second. Again, we'll never know uh, because of injuries. And the audience said Pepe. Oh, these idiots picking Pepe for these <laughs> these awards. God, what a load of idiots! Uh, young player of the season. I said Bakayo Saka. Aaron said uh, Sambi Lukonga. Uh, wanted to say Martinelli, mm. but didn't think he'd play much. Um, and thought that we were playing more and more over the season. And Brad, you said Sambi Lukonga as well. What's your thoughts on the progress of Sambi, uh, Brad? I feel like next season will be a big season for him. I'd like to see more physicality. I think his shot technique needs some work. Um, but he is a delightful player. And I, I remember him coming on against Crystal Palace and just thinking, there's a player in there, mate. There really is a player in there. We should have played him more. Uh, I think that it's really hard to judge a guy who you bring on to play a lone pivot when you've put Xhaka at left back and then he's not played for four months and you're judging whether he can come in and cover, you know, what is our marquee central midfielder when you're not even putting the tools in front of him that our marquee central midfielder has had when he's looked at his best. Um, I think that was a big mistake by us to do that. And um, and then to almost just write him off for the rest of the season. Uh, I think the Europa is going to be fantastic for him. It's a great opportunity for him to cement that understudy role as a six. Also probably get some minutes as an eight next season with, you know, I think we'll only probably bring him on central midfielder. So there's definitely going to be minutes to go around. I think that there's been some stunted growth there, which has been from the club not rotating enough, you know, and and that's led to injuries and that's led to players not playing enough. I'm surprised he didn't get a look in kind of coming to the end of the season. I felt like he definitely should have come on for El Neni against Newcastle. 
And that was a big disappointment for me. But I think that he's young. We've got a European competition that we're going to need players like him for next season. And he's going to pick up a lot of minutes. So I don't think we can really judge everything that he is when he's played maybe a thousand minutes. It's, it becomes very difficult to yeah. see the minerals. The minerals, big man. Yeah, we'll, we'll have to move on in the interest of time. But I mean, Aaron, it's similar to what we were talking about earlier in terms of pragmatism. I, I wonder whether there was a space for Sambi in that final run of games. But Mikel just thought, I don't want to risk it. And uh, I hope that sort of starts to change as he trusts his squad more. Uh, you both said Elneny will probably play more than him, knowing Mikel. So <laughs> well done to you both. Uh, the audience said Smith Rowe for Young Player of the Season. Breakout player. Uh, I could not get off the fence, but I finally said Sambi Lekonga. The audience also says Sambi Lekonga. Brad, you said Balogun. If he stick, if he stuck around, you never know. At the end of the season, Aaron, you said Callum Chambers. Now, <sighs> I rate your opinions, Aaron. This is a this is a stinker. This really is. However, as I said to you before the the podcast started, you actually identified basically what Tommy Asu was going to be doing. Rolling around into a three, uh, an aerial presence, someone who can allow Tierney to push on, uh, and someone who's you know pretty comfortable on the ball as Chambers is, who's played in the midfield. So, uh, thoughts on the worst take of all time? Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm claiming a a W on that one um, because, like I said, <laughs> you basically didn't tell me that's his role. No, I think I'd watched a, a compilation of him against West Ham from uh, last season, and it. It maybe clouded my judgment. It's it's a bit of a stinker, yeah. I, I thought he was going to be. I didn't. I didn't think Possibly we were going to the closest analog. Yeah, I didn't think we were going to sign a right back because um, this was pre Tommy Asu signing. So yeah, it's, it's it's not my finest work. I have to say. Well, Aaron, could you imagine if we? Well, I mean, he was injured for most parts of the season. Could you imagine if we'd never signed a right back and we just played Cedric Suarez all season? Oh, that would have been. Oh my god. Now. I hate the fucking athletic comments being like, also really happy with Cedric Suarez. I'm like, I'm fucking not. Get rid of him. I'm pretty sure he is. He is staying, by the way. Oh, God, really? Uh, I've heard that the the club are happy with him and he will be staying past the summer. So, amazing. Not the, the scoop that you wanted. Yes. Trophies. Audience said no. Brad said no. I said no. Aaron said no. So there you go. Uh, league position, as I said earlier, I predicted fifth. Uh, although I caveated as long as we got some players in. Uh, Brad, you said sixth, and Aaron said fifth. So, Brad, you're wrong. Get off the podcast. By the way, we were all mocking Aaron Ramsdale the whole way through the podcast. We were basically being like, oh, it's fine. We've got Aaron Ramsdale, mate. So, don't worry. No, nah, that wasn't sarcasm from me. I was being serious. <laughs> yeah, that wasn't <laughs> a joke, yeah. Alex. Maybe for you, mate. Yeah, you're trying, to, you're trying to make it up after the Chambers take, Aaron. I see it. Um, Brad, you also predicted Everton to be in the bottom 10. Hey! So, well done to you. Um, we then did some over and unders uh, to finish us off. We did Alba over or under 15 goals in the league. The audience and myself said under and you two said over because you're stupid and couldn't predict what would happen nine months in advance. Uh, Saka over or under 15 goals and assists in the league. Brad, you said under. Aaron, you said under. And again, uh, the audience said over, and I said over. I'm just going to work out what he did. He did. He did. He, did. He, did. he got, yeah. he got 19. 19 goals and assists so, this season. Technically, technically, did Aubameyang get 15 league goals, including Barcelona? No. 
No, I'm well, not having did, this. I don't think you said. I don't think you <laughs> I said. Think pre- did. That's Premier. like claiming Willian's appearances against Corinthians. Yeah, but, but did you say Premier League or did you say League? I think we're going to need to take a. I think there's going to need to be a VAR. Yeah, we're taking it. We're taking it. You're gonna. <laughs> you're gonna. You're gonna have to hold that L. Uh, Willian over or under 15 appearances. Aaron, you said over, but not for Arsenal, which was my favourite answer of the whole <laughs> whole thing. <laughs> Everyone else said under. Uh, Sambi over or under 15 league appearances. We all said over. I'm not sure he did. Let me just check uh, transfer I think he'll have had about um, six starts, so I don't know. Maybe even more. Than, I, I don't know. I feel like we're forgetting at the start of the season he was playing. He did play a lot at the start of the season. He made 19 appearances in the Premier League. Mm. I can't tell whether they're starts or not. Uh, I think um, that's about seven or eight starts. Yeah, he started a lot at the beginning of the season. Yeah, because he, he played in that... Yeah, he got a lot of starts at the beginning of the season and then... Like he played against Burnley when Jack and Party were out. Brighton, there was a few. Yeah. Yeah, I should have maybe checked that before the podcast. Um, we then had some who's going to have a good season, bad season stuff. Uh, Brad, you said Xhaka would have a good season and Leno would have a bad season, so well done. Aaron, uh, you said Gabrielle would have a bad oh, season. Yeah. And Callum Chambers would have a good season. Oh, these are horrific for me. <laughs> I said Leno would have a bad season and I had no idea on the good season because I couldn't get off the fence. Uh, surprise That's Premier painful. League player. Shut up, Brad. Uh, Brad said Grealish would have a bad season. Wow. Aaron, you picked out Patson Dacca as having a good season. And I p- picked out Thiago Alcantara from Liverpool to have a good season. Finally, uh, City were Premier League winners. Lukaku were Golden Boot. Chelsea will have a bad season. And my hot take was Tuchel may be sacked for myself. Brad, you predicted City Premier League winners. Salah, Golden Boot. Salah, I don't know what I said like that. Uh, Liverpool will have a bad season and Van Dijk will struggle. And that the Klopp era was coming to an end. Ha, ha, ha. Aaron, you said City Premier League winners. Kane, Golden Boot that Vardy will fall off and your hot take was that Brendan Rodgers will be sacked. Yeah. Surprised he wasn't, I, to be fair. There's some stinkers. Yeah, well, who knows? Maybe this season. Maybe this season, maybe this season. Any football.london understands or? No, no, no. no, no, uh, no. Finally, boys, we will hand out the Diff Knock Awards and the people who are going to be winning I'll tell you how they'll be feeling, Bradley. We're going to start winning again. We're going to win so much. We're going to win at every level. We're going to win economically. We're going to win with the economy. We're going to win with military. Yeah, that's quite enough of that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Have you just paused it? Because it's just stuck on the screen. Like, yeah, just just get rid of it. We could expand. You could expand the other ones. Uh, yeah, Trump's now just in our in our <laughs> Riverside doors. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> Lovely to see him. What a man. I missed him. <laughs> Not. Um we had the categories were the player of the season, the young player of the season, the moment of the season, and the goal of the season. Now, how this is gonna work, we're all gonna put forward our uh nominations. We're gonna have to be quite quick, uh by the way, just uh just in the interest of time. Uh and then we're gonna have to decide on a winner who will receive their diff knock award. Uh I will start. My player of the season is Bukayo Saka. 
Top goals and assists. 20 years old. We just look terrible without him. Erdegaard had that. Erdegaard and him have a lovely connection on that right-hand side. He's only going to get better. Please sign that bloody contract. Aaron? Yeah, I think Saka picks himself. He's just most consistent, best player, good goal output, definitely. Brad? Um, yeah, Saka. In the interest of just giving somebody else a shout-out, I think Gabriel Magalhaes had a monster season for us this season in a lot of aspects. Um, but it has to be Saka. There's no question. Bukayo Saka, player of the season. Uh, the young player of the season. So we can't pick Bukayo Saka. Although that, that, that sound effect just got rid of uh, Trump. So <laughs> it was worth it. Uh, the young player of the season. Bradley, would you like to kick, kick us off with your um, I idea? am going to put a case forward for Aaron Ramsdale. Because I think it's important to note that keepers mature later into their career. Yeah, young so player him- under 20, 23 or under. So yeah. So, and when you consider as well, the fact that keepers tend to mature kind of 28, 29, 30, 31, he's made a massive, massive difference to our season. Uh, so I'd like, even though there were some tricky patches near the end, I think that's also a lot down to the the haggard defense we were putting in front of him in midfield. And he definitely didn't cover himself in any glory, I think. And also for lack of any other young breakthrough players, other than maybe Smith Rowe, I'd like to give him a shout out and, and my my nomination. Aaron? Yeah, I like Ramsdale. I like Ramsdale as a shout. I went, because my, my criticism of these awards is 23 is a bit old. But so I went young. I went Martinelli. How dare you? Six, goal, six goals, six assists in the Prem, 22 starts. I think he came on a lot this season. Yes, I also went for Gabriel Martinelli. I think he took a massive step up this season. I like the Ramsdale shout, but I think Martinelli really cemented his place. Considering if you if you cast your mind back at the at the beginning of last season, he was not a guaranteed start, and people were thinking, "Is he gonna make it at Arsenal?" There was real conversations about it. Going, he's been here a while. Does he need to go on a loan? Does he need to? But he's just got this dogged mentality, which we need in this team. And I think, you know, him stepping up at the end of the season with the penalties and all sorts of stuff, um, I think he's made real, real progress. Uh, Brad, do you mind if we give it to Martinelli? Absolutely not. Well done, Gabby. Well won. Really, really good. Well done. Uh, Okay. Second to last category, the moment of the season. The moment of the season. Now, this is a bit more, I guess, subjective, but I'm going to start with my three possible ones and I'm going to try and pick one the Saka goal against Man City when he swept it in against Man City that was a great fucking moment and that was a kind of oh my god is this really happening type thing the late winner versus Wolves because I was in the stadium and that's when I felt we were going to get top four Um, that was yeah one of the highlights of the season for me and this is a bit niche but the flick round the corner from Aubameyang to get us on the counter for I think it's the second goal in the derby or it could even be the third because we were completely on top. And I remember the ball went round the corner. There was just this open space. And I remember just thinking, fuck yeah, 
Like we were cruising at that point. I remember we'd had the three bad games at the beginning of the season. I think we'd beaten Norwich and maybe someone else. And then that game came up and it was our first sort of big game since the, that blip at the beginning of the season. Yeah, Burnley. Um, and we looked, we looked good. We looked really good. So uh, I'll go with Wolves because I was in the, I was in the stadium. Uh, Brad? Mine's Wolves. Uh, I was in the stadium as well. Uh, I'd had a very, very difficult week and that goal that mo- I've never I, it, I've I've watched a fair few games I've never experienced anything like it it was fucking pandemonium in the stadium um that was the moment that I truly believed and my heart has now been shattered um but yeah I think that for me is just it was the best moment of the season for me because they'd played like absolute fucking cunts as well <laughs> Aaron, um, I, I was going to go Wolves as well, but qu- I was just going to say quick uh, to not be boring. Quick shout out to Bruno Fernandez missing that penalty because um, I was in the stadium for that. Oh yeah, yeah, I was in the stadium for that one, and suddenly it went, and it looked like United were coming back, and just when that when Ramsdale jumped in his face, it it brought me some. <laughs> Some very high yeah. amount of serotonin. So, quick shout out to that. But I, I was going to go Wolves. Do you know well. what, Aaron? You might have swim. You know, might have swim, uh, convinced me. Brad, final say. Go on. What do you want? I'm happy to go either way. I'm going to give it to Wolves purely because yeah. I'd rather it be for a positive action of an Arsenal yeah. player than a negative action of another player. Yeah, I'm back you want your statue Lacazette uh, right <laughs> the goal it was an Ozil in the end wasn't it Jose it was going wide <laughs> yeah. Jose Sarr's own goal where do you want your statue Jose Sarr um, <laughs> right uh, goal of the season goal of the season for me one winner Lacazette's against Saints I, I don't think yeah. this is debatable particularly that no. was the team goal it summed up what we're trying to do this season. That's the goal for me. Or Xhaka, that but I, less of a good goal, if that makes sense. There's one that I think deserves a say as well, and that's Martinelli versus Watford. The layoff yes. from Lacazette and the finish from Martinelli is fucking filthy. Yeah. So I think that whilst I do agree that Southampton is the goal of the season, that goal was also special. Yeah. I think aesthetically, that one... Yeah. I was just going to say it was funny because I had those two written down and I thought Lacazette was definitely the winner but to not be boring I had Martinelli against Watford as, as a shout out to that as well. Yeah, the Martinelli one was aesthetically so pleasing and the the Xhaka one probably as well was like a pro- was like a proper it was like a fucking get in kind of goal but I think you have to say if we're talking goal of the season in terms of what was the best goal scored in terms of quality you have to say the Lacazette one I think it and it's annoying that it becomes the Lacazette one because he did nothing <laughs> he just stood in the box and swung his foot at it do you know what I mean nah, his, his, fini- his finish was pretty good don't give him any credit Aaron uh, okay <laughs> goal of the season goes to Lacazette right boys we have come to the end of our season review AFC Newsroom uh, put this tweet out, which I think is a good summation because I wrote it. Arsenal finished with 69 <laughs> points, up eight points from last season, up three Way. places up from eighth. 
plus four wins from 2021. Uh, we had the equal amount of losses. The only downside was our goal difference was down three from 2021. Big summer ahead. Big, big summer ahead. We'll have lots and lots of podcasts out for you. Hopefully get Aaron back on to sort of do some some pods over the summer uh, looking at our business there. Uh, any final thoughts on this season, Bradley? Um, much, much better than I thought it would be in terms of emotion as well. Like, I, 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 enjoy, I enjoyed the fact it was such a roller coaster, even if, you know, the ending was a bit sour, but it was, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, I think especially after the first three games of the season, it turned into a season that had a lot of progress in so many metrics, tactically, technically, development-wise, squad-wise, um, clarity-wise, in terms of the fan connection, in terms of uh, how we approach things, uh, in terms of finding uh, different dynamics in the team. I think it was a lot of a lot of progress, and ultimately, if you go up three places in a in a um, in a league table, you can't complain. You can't complain, and we can only hope the progress continues. It, I think the biggest positive that I take from it is it is so clear what we need to do. It is so clear. Um, I think basically everyone on the planet except Gary Neville can tell you what will happen this summer uh, or what we need to add this summer, and. You know, it, it, it is abundantly clear and I hope the club know that. I think they do. And I've never trusted an Arsenal executive setup more than I do this one to get at least the transfers right. Um, appreciate it's only been one summer, but I think the the early um, signals are good and I trust them. I trust them to get it right. Obviously, there's always going to be a doubt, but we've been proved wrong many times by this, by this structure. So um, we have to give them credit. Aaron? Yeah, you guys summed up perfectly. Uh, promising promising season positive overall obviously it ended in pain but in a in a weird way I've missed that pain of being hopeful and Arsenal crushing <laughs> crushing everything because for about two three years before that it felt like there wasn't that hope there and like I mentioned earlier we're only going to get better it's going to it's going to get better next season and I providing our transfer business is correct and the links look good i think next season will be better yep that spurs game i remember feeling in the sort of build-up to it i was so nervous but then i was like it's because the football matters again and the most arsenal fan thing in the world is what you just said aaron i've missed the crushing feeling (laughs) so (laughs) but, but the reason is there it's it's because it's it's you miss the pain because it, it matters again. And that's the, that's what we live for in football. You know, what's the point other than the journey? You know, even if you win a league title, you have to go defend it the next season. It's all about the journey and and trusting the process, dare I say, shoots myself in the head. Uh, right, boys, we've got to finish there. Thank you so much uh, for coming back on, Aaron. It's always a pleasure to have you. Uh, Aaron writes for um, football.london as a trends writer. He's football.london. Arsenal.com before doing... Uh, player sort of player profiles as they come in and we get French football news Aaron where can they find you on Twitter and elsewhere yeah uh, at read the game on Twitter if you follow me for some terrible terrible opinions like Callum Chambers will have an amazing season but thank you so much for having me on guys been been a lot of fun appreciate it it's been a lot of fun Bradley cheers cheers mate have a good one thanks as always for listening keep it different knock and we will see you Later. Peace. Later.
Thank you so much for listening to the Different Knock podcast. Please hit subscribe or follow on whatever platform you're using. If you'd like to support the show, you can find us on Patreon and buymeacoffee.com, find us on Twitter at DiffKnock, and visit our website, thedifferentknock.com. Thanks. Podcast Network.